take your Bibles, will you turn please to the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read the last four verses. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Bible is God's Word. God speaks in His Word so that we will listen and we will hear and be changed in our lives. You may remember what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. They are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. John, at the end of his gospel, tells us why he had recorded all these things, these signs and wonders and sayings of Christ, his death and his resurrection from the dead, he said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He's speaking there of eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul as a man who has been converted to Jesus Christ, he speaks here at the end of this letter, 2 Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 14. We have Paul's blessing, Paul's benediction. What Paul desired above all else for this church, which had given him a lot of problems in Corinth. Nevertheless, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You are familiar with those words. Nearly everybody in this congregation will have been here on an occasion where we've said the grace together. Go to many churches and you'll find people will use this full blessing, this full benediction as a parting statement and desire to know the blessing of God. I want to briefly examine these words with you this evening. I can't do justice to them because they speak of the fullness of the riches of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. They speak of the triune God who has blessed us 
so richly. It's a very fitting conclusion. And it's amazing when you think of the troubles that Paul faced when he dealt with the church in Corinth. Whatever those troubles were, this is his desire for them. Whatever troubles they've had, they are the saints of God. And he desires this blessing to rest upon them. The first thing I want to say is simply this, that this blessing is ex the exclusive enjoyment of the Christian. It's the exclusive enjoyment of the Christian. It's a blessing which is pronounced on those who, like the Apostle Paul, are already Christians. A Christian is someone who has come to understand the real nature of their sin, their guilt as they stand before a holy God, their corruption that is in them by nature, and the wrath that rests upon them if they do not turn to Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who's seen through the vanity of, of this world, seen through the emptiness and the helplessness of ourselves as creatures, and has finally come to grasp the fullness of the blessings of salvation which are bestowed upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to explain that to you. Because you may have used these words and entered into using these words, yet you don't really understand what they mean. And if you're not a Christian, these words cannot have very much meaning for you. If you're not a Christian, you need, first of all, to cast yourself upon Jesus Christ for salvation. You cannot save yourself, but Jesus Christ delights to save sinners. There are many Christians here tonight who will tell you precisely that. They came to Christ to be saved, and Christ honored his promises. He receives sinners. Everything changes. All the charges against us are dropped. We're no longer regarded as guilty and under condemnation. Why? Because Jesus Christ has died in the place of sinners like us. And when you become a Christian, you begin to enjoy, you experience and you enjoy the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You come to know God as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. If you ask me, well, why do we believe in the Trinity? It's because we know God the Father. We know God the Son. We know God the Holy Spirit. It's through our own experience. We can't fathom the depths. We can't understand the fullness of all of that. But we know. Jesus said we would know. He spoke of the Father. He spoke of the Helper. That's why I read those passages earlier on. And it's because of that that 
Paul is able then to speak of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you enter, as it were, through a door. And as you enter and go behind that door, there is a vast, a vast treasure in front of you. You go from room to room and you're left open-mouthed as you gaze at these treasures in this house. You see them. You enjoy them for yourself. But you see, when you become a Christian, you enter into a relationship with God and you come to know God as your Father. You come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Redeemer. You come to know the Holy Spirit as the one who dwells with you and in you and sanctifies you and opens your eyes to understand the Scriptures. You come to know the triune God. It's a first-hand experience of the work of salvation, the work of God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul here earnestly desires that every single person who is a Christian in Corinth enters into the enjoyment of God, a delight in God. And see, that explains for us why in this benediction, why in this blessing, Paul does not begin with the love of the Father. He begins with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins there because it is we become Christians by coming to Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, you didn't go to the Father. You didn't go to the Holy Spirit. You went to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ alone who died on that cross to atone for sin. And it is to him that we are bidden to go. Whoever believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. But when we come to Christ, then we are introduced, as it were, to the Father and to the Spirit. And the Christian life is, is an increasing awareness and understanding of all that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done in order to save us and to bring us to glory with himself. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. It was while we were enemies that we were reconciled, how? By the death of his Son. Not the Father, not the Spirit, but by the death of his Son. So this blessing then is the exclusive enjoyment of a Christian. And if you're not a Christian this evening, you're a stranger to these things. But you need not remain a stranger. If you will only come to Jesus Christ, you will be saved from your sins and you will enter into the enjoyment of God himself. There's nothing greater that I can say to you, that I can promise you. I can't promise it. 
It's the promise of God. The promise of God. You will come to Jesus Christ. Then this blessing will be yours. And you will not be the same person ever again. Your life will be transformed beyond your wildest dreams. A Christian is someone who knows God. Simple as that. And yet as profound as that. So having seen that this is exclusively the enjoyment of the Christian, secondly, I want to emphasize now that this blessing gives first place to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've begun to hint at that, but I want to explain it a little further. Notice that the Apostle Paul does not speak of simply of the grace of Jesus. He gives him his full title, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. That refers to his deity. He is the Son of God. He is God. Equal with his Father. Equal with the Holy Spirit. But he is Jesus. He is the God-man. He is the one who took flesh and blood, took our nature in order to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. But he is Christ. That's a reference to his office. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. The promised one in the Old Testament scriptures. The anointed prophet and priest and king. That's his work. That's his office. In fulfillment of those promises. Those promises of salvation. So it is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may remember a few weeks ago, Christmas time, David preached on a verse that is found in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you know God through Jesus Christ, you are rich. You may not have two pennies to rub together, or even two pounds, perhaps would be more appropriate today, to rub together, but you are rich in Christ. You may be made rich by his poverty. It's the riches. How often does the scripture speak of the riches of the grace of Jesus Christ? That grace has been lavished upon us, poured out upon us in a great abundance. No one was more acutely aware of that than the Apostle Paul. Remember what he said of himself, I was once a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a violence, I was an arrogant man. And then he says, the grace the grace of Christ is exceedingly abundant. Exceedingly abundant. Riches, again, is the picture that's being conjured up here. This is a faithful saying, he went on to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world 
sinners to save. And I'm the biggest one, he said. I'm the chief of sinners. Grace is that overwhelming kindness and generosity of Jesus Christ. Leaves you standing in amazement. Why, O oh Lord, you say, such love to me? Why have my sins been forgiven? Why am I accounted righteous in the sight of God? Why has he accepted me? Why should he have done that? The only explanation is grace. The grace of Christ. How else could we be saved from our sins? We're in the pit. And there's no way out. Unless someone reaches down and takes us out. And that is Christ. Our guilt, the guilt of our sin was like a mountain. Higher than Everest. We couldn't wash our hearts and our hands of our guilt. Our hearts were a mass of iniquity, transgression. We couldn't wash ourselves clean and deliver ourselves. It's Christ's grace. And no one was more aware of that than our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember his opening words in that prayer in John chapter 17. Father, he said, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. Here's his definition of eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now he doesn't use the word grace, but that, those words are overflowing with grace, aren't they? He has given, he has given eternal life to as many as the Father has given to him. We know God as a consequence. Paul then prizes very highly the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a blessing that he has enjoyed from the very first day since he was converted on that Damascus road. And it's, a, it's the grace that every single Christian enjoys. I want to underline that because there are times when we don't feel we enjoy the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things come into our lives that distract us, that disturb us and destroy our peace and our comfort. And we forget, don't we? So easily we forget the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a blessing that is pronounced upon every single Christian in Corinth. And it is a blessing, therefore, that is pronounced upon every single Christian, however weak you may feel you are, 
however vulnerable you feel you are, however unworthy you feel you are. And there are times when Satan will come to you and he will dig up your past and remind you what a wretched sinner you are and will say, how can Jesus Christ forgive you for your sins? What's your answer going to be? Grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's washed me clean. He's forgiven me. He's died for me. You can send Satan away. Say, flee from me because of the grace of Jesus Christ. But this benediction does not end with the grace of Christ. Because there is, thirdly, this blessing teaches us and traces out the source of that grace. It's the love of God, understood as the love of God the Father. It's the love of God. The Apostle John, again, not in his gospel and in one of his letters. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Here is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, he bore the wrath of God in our place. Here is love. Is the love of God the Father. That is quite clear by implication from verse 14 because he's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of God the Father and the love of God. Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he's tracing it back. This blessing, this benediction, comes to us first through the grace of Christ. But behind that grace is this love of God. The love of God the Father. When did, when did God the Father begin to love us? Was it when he sent his Son into this world? Was it when Jesus Christ died on the cross? Was that when God began to love us? That's not what our Bibles teach us, is it? It's much greater than that. God set his love upon us from before the foundation of the world. It's an eternal love. How can we grasp that? And yet it is something which we enjoy. Something which is our privilege. It's the blessing of the gospel coming to us. It's the love of God. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, speaks of that love quite clearly. Blessed be the God, verse one, sorry, chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of this world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And I'm of the persuasion that the next phrase, which is often tied into that, it's part of the verse, in love belongs to the next phrase. In love, 
having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the pleasure of his will and to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's what Paul is thinking of. He's thinking of the sovereign, eternal love of God that predestinated us to sonship. And it's because of his love. Because of his love. And it's that love which you begin to experience and you begin to enjoy. The more you read your Bible, when you become a Christian, the more you see something of the love of God. captivates your mind and your heart. You know there's nothing good in you. Nothing good to be said of you. God set his love upon you before you were born, before this world was created. He chose you in Christ because of his great love. As you begin to grasp that, it thrills your heart. Your heart is ravished. Fills you with assurance. Fills you with comfort. Fills you with joy. The fact, God loves me. What can we say to that? Christian, don't depend on how you feel. Depend upon what God says. God says, I have loved you, and I do love you. I am your father. You are my child. You are my son. Some of the hymns that we speak, sing speak of the love of God, vast as an ocean, deeper than the deepest sea. Loving kindness like a flood. Loved with everlasting love and taught by grace that love to know. That's the grace of Christ. Comes to us and brings us into the family of God and declares to us the love the Father has for us. Paul is pronouncing the blessing of the love of God, the reality of the love of God on the church in Corinth. A love that is permanent, a love that will never be removed, even in your darkest moments. God still loves you. And that's what you have to lay hold of by faith and belief. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will be your God. That's his promise. And as our God, he is a father. In all his heavenly power and glory, and yet in all his tenderness and compassion towards us. Here then is why the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has been lavished on you. Here is the source of that grace of Christ, the eternal saving love of God, 
towards us. We deserve hell and damnation. My friends, it's not a trickle, is it? It's a torrent. It's a torrent of love. You can't measure it. You can't fathom it. But you know it's real. You feel something of it in your heart as you lay hold of that promise. And I want to assure you that God will never turn away his love from you. He would cease to be God. He would cease to be your Father in heaven if that were the case. So this benediction pronounces then this blessing pronounced of the love of God the Father for each and every one of his children. Paul desires that they know that and delight in that. But then there is Fourthly, lastly, the blessing focuses upon the Holy Spirit as the means by which you enjoy all these blessings of salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, you would know nothing of the love of God and you would certainly know nothing of the grace of Jesus Christ. He is the one who opens our eyes to see. He is the one who changes our hearts. You remember how the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to Nicodemus. You can't enter into, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born from above, born of the Spirit, unless you are renewed, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And until the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart and changes your heart and your mind and your whole outlook, you can never know the grace of Christ. You can never know the love of God. You can never possess all the benefits and blessings which He has lavished upon us. But it is God the Holy Spirit who is pleased to come and take up residence in our hearts. It's by the Spirit's guidance. It's by the Spirit's teaching. It's by the Spirit enlightening our minds and our hearts. We're not taught of men about the grace of Christ and the love of God the Father. We're taught by God Himself, by God the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can come to know. It's the renewing power of the Spirit of God. That opens our eyes. And then we begin to see. And we begin to learn how wonderful it is to be a Christian. It's the Spirit who applies God's Word to us. And all the benefits of this grace. This love of God the Father. This grace of Jesus Christ. But you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just instruct us only. When we are dwelt, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, He comes and He enthralls us. He enthralls us. He excites us. Excites us by the love of God and by the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's an ongoing thing. It's a constant thing. It's something which we enjoy and experience the longer we live as Christians in this world. You see, what Paul is saying here is that this is the common possession 
of every single Christian. Now, you may not have been a Christian very long, but you know God. You may have been a Christian 50, 60 years, and you know God a great deal better than when you knew him first. But it's the same God, and all it is is a, an opening up and a, a greater understanding of the grace of Christ and the love of God the Father. But the new birth, regeneration, is only the beginning. Only the beginning of the Spirit's work in us. And when Paul speaks of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he is thinking more than just regeneration. The Spirit is the author of the new creature, the new creation in Christ Jesus. He comes, as it were, and brings the great future, the blessing of the future into the present so that we begin to enjoy heaven here on earth. That's the work of the Spirit. He wants us to begin to enjoy our glorious inheritance. Listen again to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. There in verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, that's Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He says, you've been sealed. You've been marked out. And what is the work of the Spirit? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. And He lets you know. He lets you in on that inheritance. So as you know who you are and you know your destiny, you know your calling. But the Holy Spirit has been given to you. And when Paul prays for this blessing, that you may know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he is thinking in these terms. Again, in Romans and chapter 8 and verse 23. Not only that, he says, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We are adopted into the family of God. We are the sons of God. We cry, Abba, Father. That's the cry of a Christian. Paul speaks of the fullness of our adoption. He's looking for the resurrection of the body. You have a hope of heaven. You have the hope of glory. You have the hope of the resurrection of your body. Where did that come from? Is that some kind of feeling you have? Some kind of wishful thinking? No. No. It's the promise. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And to enjoy that hope of glory, that hope of resurrection glory. It's that same Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses, who intercedes for us. Paul goes on, I haven't time to comment on that. 
But we have our doubts and our fears, don't we, about the future. But we enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells with us and in us as individuals, as the church of Christ, and testifies who we are, to whom we belong, speaks to us of the love of God and the final conclusion of our salvation, the redemption of our body. Beyond death, that hope of glory. Takes your breath away. But can you see what Paul is emphasizing here in his benediction and his blessing? He's speaking of the greatness of the triune God. He's speaking of the goodness of the triune God. He's promising that. He wants that for every Christian in Corinth. And it is there because if we are Christians, we are to enjoy that same blessing, that same benediction. All the blessings of salvation that are found in Christ, in the Father, and the Holy Spirit. You know them. You know God. You know Jesus Christ. You know God the Father. You know the Holy Spirit. Notice that Paul says, that grace, that love, that communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Are you saying to yourself, even though you profess to be a Christian, well, that doesn't include me. I'm not worthy of these things. My friend, you'll never be worthy. I'm not worthy. You'll never be worthy. But that's the grace of God. This is your God. These things are your possession. These blessings are for you. However you feel, whatever troubles you face, whatever your fears and doubts are, these things belong to you. What should our response be? Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Teach me to love you more. Fill my heart with joy and peace in believing these things concerning my God. You see then why I say these things can only be enjoyed by a real Christian. I say again, these things can be yours. The moment you come to believe upon Jesus Christ and cast yourself as that lost and helpless guilty sinner upon the only Savior of sinners. Do you not then consider Christ? To me, to every Christian, he is precious. The blood of Christ is precious. Why? Because that secures my forgiveness, my salvation. 
What can make you happier? In the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the world doesn't understand. I was once there. So were you. I didn't understand. When I first became a Christian, there are lots of things I understand now that I never understood then. But my life, my Christian life, has been an increasing understanding of God. And I know God. I know God. I can call Jesus Christ my Savior. I can call God my Father. I can call God the Holy Spirit my comforter, my helper, my teacher. And I'm happy. I'm happy because of that. I have joy, sometimes joy unspeakable, full of glory. Paul is praying. What he desires is that these Corinthians will know daily, enjoy the presence and reality of that grace that love, and that fellowship. You have been eternally blessed by the triune God. And the way to grow is to get to know him better, and to know that grace, and to know that love, and to know that fellowship. And you'll never get to the bottom of it. You'll never fathom it. There's an abundance, an infinite abundance not some passing impression. It's founded in the Word of God. It's founded upon the promises. It transforms your whole being. It's an abiding reality. And if you begin to understand these things, there's a very real sense in which you are dwelling in the suburbs of heaven. Do you understand what I mean by that phrase? You're on a pilgrimage. You're heading towards the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Now, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and because you know the love of God, and because you know the grace of Jesus Christ, you are dwelling in the suburbs of heaven. As you walk, that's your destination. And then you will know this grace and this love and this fellowship in a way that will blow your mind. Be beyond our comprehension. Heaven will be taken up with knowing this God. God is there in that new city, that new Jerusalem. But he is with us now. He has blessed us now. These things are experienced and enjoyed now. I urge you, brother, sister in Christ, commune with Jesus Christ, your Savior. Commune with God, your Father, in His love. Commune with the Holy Spirit as the one who is the guarantee of your inheritance. You enjoy fellowship with each person of the Trinity. When you were baptized, you were baptized what? Into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here is this blessing that Paul, the great apostle of grace, 
He wants them all to know the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Each and every single one of them. When we come to gather as we do today in worship, we come to praise our God. We come to be reminded of these things, don't we? And to respond in faith and in love and with joy in our hearts. I'd like to say a great deal more, but I can't plumb the depths. I know there's a great deal more to be said, but my mind and my tongue is not eloquent enough to express these things. I'll wait for the day of glory. When that day comes, perhaps then I'll begin to be praise the God whom I've come to know. And you will come to that point too. Praise him with an unsinning heart, with pure lips, a mind and a heart that has begun to enjoy God here. But oh, there's a great deal more to enjoy and to delight in. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Is there anything greater, anything better than to know this God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you open up your word to us. You open up our hearts to hear, to receive, to believe these things. They are beyond our comprehension. And yet they are real. We thank you that you have taught us. Not taught of men, but you have taught us as our God to know you, to trust in you, to enjoy eternal life. So Lord, seal these words to our hearts. Impress them upon us. The rest of today and this coming week we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our closing hymn. Back of our sheet. How vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness.
most appropriate thing for us to do now, to say the grace together. The grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Thank you.